Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Nashville Live. For those of you who are here for the first time, uh, my name is Alvin. I serve as lead pastor here at the church. I'm so glad you're with us. Uh, we had a great 9 a.m. service. We had three families uh, dedicate their children to the Lord. Um, so we got to pray for them and anoint them with oil. And it was just, it's a, it's a blessing to, to do and an honor for me to, to be a part of that, to be a part of their lives and to lead this church. Um, I, let's see, I think I had a difficult week just with mentally just sorting through, kind of still thinking on, uh, Buffalo and then Texas um, and just the children and the families and just it's really uh, made me a bit heavy but um, I think it's a good practice to go to the word um, at all times if you're happy I think you should go to the word if you're sad you should go to the word I think the word is just always the go-to whatever state we're in and in this case I believe when you're heavy you should go to scriptures and I was uh, in the scriptures, and I started getting really fired up to share um, a message on today, which I think is timely. I was going to share it even before, you know, I, I knew of what happened. But honestly, I kind of just got even more revelation. I changed it a few times because I, I'm just pretty inspired to, to bring a particular aspect of the gospel to our church today. Um, but before we get into it, let's, uh, let's do our declaration. Let's get our faith engaged and ready to receive the word. So repeat these words after me if you can. Say, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. Well, the theme for 2022 is uh, at Nashville Life. If you're new, our church has a theme this year, and we're kind of directing everything to this theme. And the theme is called Withstanding the Wind. And it's inspired by a passage in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. And this is John the Baptist, and he's speaking about Jesus. And this is how John the Baptist describes Jesus. He says, his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And the point of me spending all year talking about this passage and preaching from this passage is I believe that we are in times of a lot of change, a lot of difficulty, a lot of challenge. And I believe it's increased the past couple of years, at least for our community. And it's important as believers for us to understand the times that we're in so that we are not ill-prepared for it and ill-equipped for it. The good thing about Jesus is he, he doesn't promise us to not go through difficult things, but he promises to equip us with what we need to, to succeed through those trials. And I think the church, first and foremost, needs to be equipped for the trials because there's so many millions of people who don't know Jesus, who need to see hope, 
who need to see stability, who need to see faith. And I believe if they don't see through the church, they don't have any other option. I really do believe the church is the only option that the Lord has ordained for uh, his life, his light, his hope, his truth. Um, so I want our church to be prepared. So we're covering a different wind every month. And the idea is that we find ourselves getting more and more stable in these windy times. I love the idea of there being just all these huge gusts of wind coming through the world and that there are people who are in the church who are just stable and steadfast and secure in the midst of all the chaos. And there's a lot of chaos. Um, so the, 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 the wind for this month that I'm talking on is the wind of change. We're talking about how change can really be a challenge to your faith. Uh, we've talked about how good, good change can be a challenge to your faith because you get all these blessings and next you know you're distracted and preoccupied with all the good things that God has given us. Now we don't have time for the Lord. And we've also talked about how bad changes can be a challenge to our faith because it can discourage us. It can really make us doubt the existence of God, let alone the goodness and presence of God in our lives. But really the past four weeks have been talking about how to stand firm in the midst of all of the winds blowing and how to stay steadfast and secure and kind of plant your feet. This week is a little bit different. It's the end of the month. Happy early Memorial Day, by the way. Um, hope you guys have a great Monday tomorrow. But uh, this last part of the month is going to be a little bit different. I want to talk about a change that comes that really applies to people who are rooted in Christ and those who are secure in Jesus, there is a change that's on its way. And it's a lot sooner than we all think. And this is a prophetic change that's all through scripture and the signs of the time are showing that this change is close. And I think what happened in Texas is just another example of how close this change is, and that is the return of Jesus Christ. A lot of people, like there's a song that we sing at National Life, it's not often talked about. It's not a common topic, even within the church, but it's all through scripture that not only did Jesus raise from the grave, but he's also coming back for his church. And I believe this is a change that as many people as possible need to be aware of and not only aware of, but prepared for, and not only prepared for, but eager for. And if that disposition towards Jesus coming back sounds foreign to you or sounds strange to you, I'm so glad you are here because I believe that this word is going to enlighten you on a standard and an expectation for the Christian that you might have, you might have not known was there. So, we're going to read uh, a passage in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18 through 21. And it says, For many of whom I often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, 
with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables even to subject all things, sorry, that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Believers, according to the scripture, are called to long for this change to come, for Jesus to return for his church and take us to be with him, to reign with him. A lot of time we link longing having a longing for something as a negative thing. Like if you're longing for cash or you're longing for friendships or you're longing. But longings aren't necessarily negative. I believe it's natural to long for certain things. For instance, let's say you're a parent and you have a kid. It's been three days and that kid has not asked for food. He's not hungry. There's no appetite. That's usually an indicator that something might be off. One thing is either they've got a stash of candy in their room and they're eating a lot of candy so they're never hungry when it's time for food, or maybe they're sick. Maybe they just go to the doctor because it's not normal for, for, that, for your child to, to not want food after that long. You know, it's usually your kid is going, you know, I'm ready for a snack or I'm ready for some more food. So when they don't have that longing, that's usually an indicator. And I just believe that according to the scripture, a person who isn't longing for the return of Christ needs to ask yourself why. If there is no longing for him to come back and no longing for him to, to, to rescue you and to take you from the, in the church from, from what's happening, then you need to ask yourself why. Because like that kid who's not hungry, there could be a couple things. Either your, bo your body or your belly is full of candy and you've been eating things that, that are curbing and, and taking away the appetite that should be there, or you're sick. And the cool thing about it is, is there's no condemnation for either option. If you're sick, Jesus is the great physician. He will heal you. He will assess your life and see what is, what is in, in disalignment, what is not correct in your life to where you're not hungering for the things you're supposed to be hungering for. Like the song said, there's a hunger and a thirst. The Bible says, blessed are those who are hungry for righteousness and hungry to do the will of God and hungry for his return and longing for it and eager for it. So, so like that child who's gone three days and hasn't asked for anything to eat, we need to ask ourselves, why? What's the issue? Am I full of things that aren't nourishing to me or am I sick or what? Philippians says that the enemies of God, it kind of helps answer the question for us. It says the enemies of the cross don't long for Christ to return because their bellies are full and their minds are preoccupied on earthly things. The Bible is giving us the reason. If you're not longing for Jesus, it could be because your flesh is appeased, your bellies, which was Scripture says as many of our gods, as long as we're full in the flesh, we're satisfied. 
and our mind is preoccupied and set on things of this world. On the contrary, Philippians says that we, and by we I mean the church, believers are citizens of heaven. And I think this is a very uh, purposeful use of, of words, citizens of heaven. When you're a citizen of a place, that's where you belong. You are of their customs, their values, you speak their language, and you generally have their way of thinking. When you visit somewhere else, if you're a citizen of one nation and you visit another nation, even if it's good, it's different. Even if you're enjoying some aspects about it, it's still not home. The language is different. There's a language barrier in many cases. Uh, they drive on different... I live in Australia, and they spoke English, but then they drove on the other side of the road. So, like, there's always kind of something that's different. So where even when we go on vacations, why most of us, when we go, even if it's a great place, after about six, seven days, it's like, this was nice, but it's time to go home. Not because you don't like where you're at, but it's just not home. It's not my place. Which is why, yeah, many times when we go to a foreign place, we're ready to go. This is what Paul is saying should be the case for citizens of heaven. The world that we are in is not a proper fit for us. It, is it all bad? No. Are there some things about it that we like? Yes. But it's still not home. It's not where we are ultimately called to be. Some of us are thinking, not last service, I was like, whenever I write these messages, I always try to think what the audience might be thinking as I say this. And I was like, there's bound to be at least that one guy that's like, what about dual citizenship? You know, like, that's a thing. You can be a citizen here and also a citizen there. And I'm here to let you guys know that that does not apply to this. Not because I just don't want it because it messes up my argument. It's actually in Scripture that dual citizenship is not an option when it comes to the Spirit. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Some translation actually says aliens. They say that we as Christians are supposed to be like foreigners in this world. And he warns us to keep away from worldly desires that wage war on our souls. And I believe one of the ways that worldly desires wage war on our souls is it diminishes our longing for Jesus to come back. It diminishes our yearning for things to change and for him to return. It curbs our appetite. It makes the appetite that we should be having, according to scripture, lower. These are one of the effects of what it means to, to become, you know, friends with the world. And some of us should ask ourselves, seriously, am I a visitor in this world or is this where my citizenship is? But the only thing about it is, remember, dual citizenship is not, a, not an option. So if you're a citizen of the world, then you're a foreigner in heaven. 
And if you are a citizen of heaven, you're a foreigner here on the, in the world. And I'm going to tell you, when Jesus returns, I pray this for all of you guys, none of us want to be found as foreigners of heaven. When Jesus comes, because he's only coming back for citizens of heaven. He's only coming back for people who have their citizenship in heaven. So if heaven is a foreign place and a foreign concept of the kingdom of God, if it, if it feels like a foreign place, I'm glad you're here. Because now we can actually go to the one who can change our citizenship, who can change our hearts, who can change our mindset and the way that we think to where the kingdom of God will be more of us and the ways of the world will feel foreign. Did you guys know it's possible, even though you were born in this world, to be born again? To be born a second time into a new identity that is not of this world, even though you're in it? It's possible, it's been done before, and we have an incredible example in Jesus on how to do this. If you find yourself feeling like a citizen of the world, then more than likely you are driven and guided by the flesh, and more than likely you, your mind is set and preoccupied with things of this world. Now, if you're of the world, a lot of times we think just really extreme situations when we think of what a person of the world looks like. We imagine this like hedonistic, just very indulgent, ridiculous kind of person. But people who are of the world look like me and you. People of the world actually want things in the world to change. Just because you want something to change about your home doesn't mean it's not your home. There's things I need to fix in my house right now, but it's still my house. There's things about Nashville life I think need to get better, but it's still my church. Just because you acknowledge that some things in the world need to be different can still mean that you consider yourself a citizen of this world. You don't need to be a Christian to long for things to change to where what happened this week in Texas never happens again. You don't have to be a Christian to, to long for diseases to be cured. You don't have to be a Christian to recognize that things in the world need to change. But we're not talking about things that the world needs to change. We're talking about actually not even considering yourself a citizen of this place. There's a difference. And because people don't understand the difference, what they do is they think, since I want the world to be a better place, I'm a part of the solution. And generation after generation after generation, we hear the same things. Let's make the world a better place. Let's do better. Let's do something. Let's love each other. And we, and we get on these bandwagons and we just see that the same things happen and sometimes they can even get worse. So I'm like, Lord, what's going on? Why is it that we want things to be better, but things aren't? What are we missing? And I got a revelation in a very unlikely way. First service heard this. Um, recently, I saw a new snack that's out on the line, and it's uh, a Oreo slash Ritz cracker. And there's a Ritz cracker and peanut butter, then it's the white cream filling and Oreo. So you're getting like a salt, sweet, peanut butter, chocolate thing, whatever. I was curious about it, um, and I was like, I kind of want to like see what this is. 
But they didn't have it at the store recently. Maybe it's not at all stores. It's sold out, that's right. And the reason why you can see a partnership like this is because both Oreos and Ritz Crackers are owned by Nabisco, same owner. So I was like, am I really gonna talk about crackers for church? But I, I am. So, so let's say there's a couple, and I'm gonna name them Bob and Susie, and they're at home watching TV, and a Ritz Cracker ad commercial comes on the television and they find the ad very offensive. It's, they, it's, it's, it offends their moral values, um, even their political affiliation, whatever. Let's say, and let's say it's a sincere offense. Like, let's say it's, it's really something that goes against who they are and what they believe in, the, the commercial that Ritz Cracker used. So they get so vexed and so uh, turned off that they go, hey, babe, we're not gonna, we're not gonna buy Ritz crackers anymore. We're gonna like not give our money to something that is so contradictory to what we believe and what we're about. So they stop buying Ritz. They start getting, you know, townhouse and other things like no more Ritz. And they actually find a petition on Facebook about boycotting Ritz, and they they sign it because they it's like we don't this should stop. And then they actually even find a protest uh, where people were picketing against Ritz crackers because of this foul ad. And uh, they get back in their car after their successful protest against Ritz crackers. And then they, you know, Susie's craving some Oreos. She has a sweet tooth. She's like, babe, let's go to Kroger and get some Oreos. So they're still buying Oreos. But what they don't realize is that the same owner of Ritz Crackers is the owner of Oreos. So why they think they're defunding Ritz, the more money they give to Oreo, they're still putting a ton of money in Nabisco's pocket. And I believe the Lord showed me that this is what the world's way of making a better place looks like. We are selective of what we want deliverance from. And we, 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 get behind certain sins that we don't like and certain things about the world that we identify as wrong, but we are still fueling parts that we're okay with. And what happens is we don't realize it, but the same guy is owning both. The Bible says that the spirit of the world is governing all things of the world. So while you think that you're really, you know, taking your stance, what you are funding and fueling still is supporting the very company, in this case, the very prince of the air that is overseeing all things that are worldly. And it creates a hamster wheel situation. We think that we're really making a mark, but our, our energy and our investment is still going towards the world. So the world never gets better, even though we have all these things that we're standing against. And that's what the Lord says, the only way out of this hamster wheel is to be born again and to completely change citizenship. You can't, you can't counter a world that you're still investing in. You can't counter a world while still being of it. 
This is why being born again is a necessity. You can't try to change the world while still being a citizen of it. It just doesn't work. The first thing that has to happen, that's why he says repent, be born again. The first thing that has to happen is you have to withdraw your citizenship. And that way you can come at this world, encounter this world as a citizen of heaven. But you first have to, you first have to come out. If you look in scripture, that's the first thing that's come out from among them. Moses, before he saved Egypt, he had to come out of Egypt. That's how it works. We have to come out of it in our hearts, in our minds, if we're going to be effective in changing it. If your citizenship is in heaven, you will have a much better time. And it will be much easier for you to yearn for the change that Jesus wants us to yearn for. And that's for his return. It can't happen unless you become a citizen of heaven. You have to yearn for the change. Romans chapter 8, very uh, famous chapter for many people. If you've never heard of it, we're going to just do two, two verses, verse 22 through 23. It says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So the whole world is groaning, saying, when is Jesus coming? Verse 23, and not only the creation, so not only are the trees and the, the animals and the mountains, not only are they yearning for, but we ourselves, the church, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly, that means with enthusiasm, for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. So we see again, we're seeing several New Testament scriptures that's describing the church as eagerly waiting. And I, th I just, after like the sixth or seventh scripture that I read about the church looking for his return and anticipating his return, after a while I had to go with, Lord, I, I got convicted. Lord, is that me? Do I fit in this description of your church? Do I, dis do I fit in what you're saying? Is that really my heart's longing? And I think we all should be asking ourselves this. The Bible says that we're supposed to have an inward groaning while we wait for our Savior to come back. And again, I'm just pretty good at, you know, you see certain images painted in Scripture and you just associate them with negativity. When I think of inward groaning, I think of like me on the floor with a stomach ache or something. And I'm like, Lord, are we called to be living like that? Like, do you want really us like moaning and groaning all the time? Be like, where is the Lord? Because then I'll read scriptures about how we're supposed to be rejoicing. And how we're supposed to have fullness of life and joy and celebration. I'm like, how does that fit with this inward groaning? But then I read the scripture again. And I see that it says that we ourselves, talking about the church, have the first fruits of the spirit and when I thought of first fruits there's some descriptions some translations translations that say a foretaste or even a deposit and I was thinking okay how does this work we're yearning for change but we have the Holy Spirit and I was like there's something about the first fruits and I started thinking about when you're at a meal a multiple course meal and you have your first course or you have your appetizer and appetizers are very interesting because it's food 
and it's meant to satisfy a hunger, but appetizers, when they're done properly, are meant to take care of your right now hunger, but not at the expense of the main course. And that's what the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, as the church of Jesus Christ, until he returns, we have a deposit of the Holy Spirit. It's still the Holy Spirit through and through. It's the fullness of God. It's not a light version or a diet version. It's, it's God. But it's the, the foretaste of what's to come. And I was like, Lord, how can I have inward groanings for Jesus to return, but yet still declare the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and hallelujah, he's given me all things I need, and thank you, Jesus. He goes, because it's both. What we have right now from Jesus is a foretaste of the glory that's to come. It's the first fruits of the many fruits that are, many fruit that's coming. It's the beginning that's enough to keep us content, enough to keep us full, enough to keep it where our cup is running over, but it's also given away where we still know there is more to come. And that's the sweet spot that believers are called to live in. We're content, we do have joy, joy unspeakable, but we are still hungry for the main event. We're still hungry for him to come back. And the role of the believer is to be content, but not so content where there is no hunger for what's next. And that's the sweet spot. And again, if you want to know how to do that, Jesus says, follow me. I will show you how to live in the fullness of God, but also know that there is more to come. To yearn for him to come and take us and transform us to the full glory that he's promised for us. So today is a wake-up call. Today is a wake-up call. Are we looking for change? Are we looking for Jesus to come back? Are we looking to be saved from this world? Because the world is evil, guys. And I used to question, my question used to be, how much more evil does the world have to get before us, for us to finally realize we need to change and that was kind of like my mindset, which is why the word says to never lean on your own understanding, but to acknowledge him. Because Alvin's understanding says, well, surely if we just see enough crime and enough murder and enough hate, then surely we'll be driven to make a change. But evil has never and will never motivate positive change. In fact, it's the opposite. Sin, we are, like, when you're in sin, you're a slave. So even if you hate it, even if you detest it, the Bible compares us when we do this as a dog returning to his own vomit. It's gross, it smells bad, but you still go back for it. And I've seen this happen, it doesn't matter how many headlines. We can, we can post, we can even cry, but we'll find ourselves still driving back to the same lifestyle that produces the results that we hate. This is the hamster wheel of humanity. We hate it, we don't like it, we know it's gross, we know it's evil, but we still come back for more. And no matter how severe the results are, not how bad it gets, we find ourselves still not willing to change in the ways that produce the results that we say that we need and want so badly, which is why Jesus says we must be born again. 
We must get out of this worldly way of trying to make the world a better place and finally obey the words of Jesus, which says, until you die to the world, you've got to crucify yourself to the world. You have to totally abandon the world in your heart. The opposite is the dual citizenship. It sounds a lot more palatable as dual citizenship, but the Bible calls it something a lot less palatable. James 4, verse 4, says, you adulterous people. So what we call dual citizenship, God calls adultery. Because we're dating both. We're pals with the world, but we still want to be pals with the kingdom of God. But guys, God is trying to let us know they're at war with each other. The spirit of the world and the spirit of God are totally in opposition. And you can't be, you can't be for one and in and, and support of the other. It's just, it's impossible. Like the Bible says, um, it says right here. Do you not, I'm like, it says in the Bible, but it's right here. Do you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever, no matter how nice you are, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. A lot of us think being an enemy of God is just too radical. That's just too intense, Alan. I'm not that. And if anyone is that, then they are like, I don't know. We think that we have to verbally say, I hate God, to hate God. But it's a lot, it's not, it's not the way we think. The Bible says all you have to do is be a friend of the world and you will hate him. Notice, it doesn't say God will hate you. It says we will hate him. When I was in sin, God loved me. It was me that had the issue with him. God loves his enemies. We don't. When you are a friend of the world, you have made yourself an enemy of God. So when we try to make both happen, it's not happening. The world doesn't recognize it. God doesn't recognize it. When we try to change the world and still be citizens of it, it doesn't work. We must separate ourselves again, how do you do that? Because I live on the earth. I'm a human being. You know, how in the world am I supposed to be in this thing and function in this thing and even have things that I treasure in this thing but not be of it? And the Lord says, follow me. I will show you. I will show you how to be in the world. I will show you how to be functional in the world. I will show you how to be a good citizen in the world, but still not be of it in any way. And what seems impossible to us, Jesus goes, I did it. If you would follow me, I'll show you how to do it. That's why he says, take this yoke on me, on you. Put this yoke that I have, put it on you, and we'll walk together. And I'll show you how to be a citizen of heaven while walking this world, walk, walking in the earth. So, remember I said, I used to ask the question, how much more evil does the world have to get before we finally decide that, man, it's time to make a change? I believe 
that there's a better way. There's nothing that says fix your eyes on evil. It says fix your eyes on Jesus. If we look, I was at one of my pastors in Australia used to say, they were teaching about a walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And the example they used to use was if you're like, if you spend, let's say you're on a diet and you spend all day saying, I'm not going to eat chocolate, 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 I'm not going to eat. It's just a matter of time before you're doing what? Because what are you thinking about? All the time, chocolate. So what happens is, that's why some of us need to be careful with how much we indulge in bad news. I'm not saying be out of touch. I'm not saying to not know what's going on. But many of us are much better at meditating on the evil that's in the world than the goodness of God. And we think we're doing our godly job. We're like, oh, I'm really representing the kingdom. I am reposting every negative thing I see that happens. Man, I'm really letting the devil have it. He goes, you're free advertisement. We're helping the devil. He goes, this is great promotion. I'm, I'm fueling why it's good to be discouraged. I'm fueling why there is no hope. I, you're helping me fuel why people have no reason to hope. Instead, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, what happens is something very supernatural. It's when the prophet looked at Jesus that he said, oh my God, I'm a man of unclean lips. When the, when the prophet looked at Jesus, when John, he fell to his face because he was recognizing not the sins of the world, but his sins. That's when you know you have had an encounter of Jesus. Some of you guys really think that you have an encounter of Jesus and the fruit of your time with the Lord is how much everybody else is sinning. There's a good chance you had an encounter with the devil. Because God doesn't inspire you to be stirred up about other people's sin. God stirs you up to be sensitive to your own. Well, pastor, that's my gift. You understand, that's my gift. It's my spiritual gift to call out, to call out this, you know. The Bible says if you want healing in your land, you turn from your wicked ways, not you tell other people to turn from theirs. First things first. I'm not saying we don't call out sin. I'm not saying we don't preach the gospel in a way where it tells people to repent. But first things first, we have to go by scripture. And when you see any prophet or any man of God or any woman of God that was using the kingdom, their first revelation was their own sin. Because that's what breaks them. And that's what births humility. And humility is where God's grace is. And that grace is what enables you to break the yokes and bondages of others. But what happens is we get on social media and we just want to break the bonds of others. Meanwhile, we're in chains literally while typing, while posting. We are in bondage going, man, I'm breaking chains. Jesus goes, let's break yours first. 
Because you'll find yourself actually doing things led by the Spirit, and you will be much more effective than when you're doing things out of your own flesh, out of your own emotions, out of your own basic worldly desire for things to change. Which again, I'll say it again, you don't have to be a Christian to recognize that things need to change. We're giving ourselves too much credit. There are heathens that will tell you that things need to change. What separates us is we go, I need to change. That's what separates the worldly person who's distressed and the person who's been convicted by the Holy Spirit. You go, it's me. I'm contributing to the way the world is today. I've been buying Oreos, funding Nabisco. I thought I was doing a good thing by not eating Ritz, but I've been buying Oreos every week. Nabisco is rich because of me, not because of the Ritz lovers. Nabisco is funded by me. I'm contributing to the success of Nabisco, and I love Nabisco. Nabisco is not the enemy. It's my example. Please. I have nothing against Nabisco. It's just, the, it's just the analogy. Pastor said, stop eating Nabisco. <laughs> I did not say that. Stop fueling the world systems. Stop fueling the spirit of the world. Stop fueling the very enemy that you claim that you want to be saved from. We're making investments. Your world is where you're investing in. Last scripture. Are you guys okay? Verse 36 of Matthew 24. Matthew 24, this is what Jesus says. I'm ending with this passage. He says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. When Jesus is coming back, when he returns, no one knows the hour. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Verse 37, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. Verse 39, this is what we have to avoid. This is why I'm teaching on this today. Verse 39, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. And in other words, they weren't aware until it was too late. About time they realized that a flood was coming, it was already drowning them. Is anything wrong with having a good meal? No, let's hope not, because I love good food. Is there anything wrong with getting married and giving a marriage? No, but to be the, the picture that Jesus is painting is people were so preoccupied with the things of the world that they were totally unaware of a life world-changing event that was about to happen. In this case, Noah's the flood, the flood that came. But Jesus is saying it's going to be just like that when I return. People are going to be preoccupied with their schedules, with their agenda, with their worldly thoughts and worldly events.
not even satanic things, but worldly things, things that diminish and curb your appetite and distract you from looking up going, Jesus, when are you coming? Is it now? When are you coming? You might be coming today. And when we live, okay, thank God for the scripture. I, I, I always think it's so funny when I start trying to preach and I read, read it and it's all right here. I really don't have to preach. I can just read because it says it. It says, they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Verse 40. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Which is why it's very important that all of us have an individual, one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus. There are no package deals. If your relationship with Jesus is contingent on your best friend loving Jesus, the Lord will shake that thing. He will shake it. Not to be mean, but just to wake you up to, oh my God, if I don't have a one-on-one -on -one assurance with God, just because you're walking side by side doesn't mean both of y'all are in it. Because Jesus says there's gonna be two men in a field one will be taken and one left. Verse 41, two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. I've been tested like this, guys. I know, I believe in friendships. I believe in community. At the same time, we cannot glorify community to where it wavers our individual love for Jesus. I've experienced the loss of those friends I was walking with and now they're not... I just don't really care as much anymore. What am I going to do? I guess I don't care much either. Like, I wanted to, and I was tempted to, because I love those friends. But the Lord goes, who did you get in this for? Did you get saved to have friends, or did you get saved to be saved? <laughs> are friends important? Yes. But are they as important as your one-on-one -on -one walk with Jesus? That's a hard no. Hard no. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house, this is so good, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would, have, would not have let his house be broken into. Basically, the Lord says that there is purpose in us not knowing when. Because, A, it would take no faith if we did know. And it would be so, I mean, Lord knows. I'm just thinking about it right now. It would be so easy to manipulate our walk with Jesus. Do you know how many people would wait one day before his return? Do you know how many people would manipulate this? He's coming on the 24th at 12, so if I go to the 9 a.m. service on the 24th, I can get saved, live a life all for myself, not obey him, not do anything I don't want to do, not, oh my God, and still making it to heaven? Sign me up. 
I'm a human being, guys. I know us. I know how we are. So the Lord says, I'm not going to tell them. I'm not going to let anyone know so I can see who loves me and who's not just trying to take advantage of me. Who loves me? Who loves me? Who's in this because they love me? Who's in this because they need me? Who's in this because they delight in my presence? He says, if the, I'm going to read verse 43 again. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and he would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So the Lord's like, so like, Lord, what am I supposed to do in the meantime? He goes, be ready. It could, it literally could be 7 o'clock tonight. It could be 70 years from now. The question is, are you in this to get in by the skin of your teeth? Or are you in this because you love God? Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household? to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. But Jesus is letting us know what he wants to see the church doing when he comes. It makes all the scriptures make sense. Remember those scriptures where it says don't just do work when your master's looking? Or like when your boss is looking, like some of us, like if our boss is not in that day, we're like, well, I just want to come. Like the Bible talks against that because it fuels a mindset that we'll do with Jesus. Everything we do is unto the Lord. Just you know, everything we do matters, just so y'all know. Everything matters, even on a spiritual sense. Like even your work at work with your man boss or woman boss is still an indication of where your heart is at with God. Because God goes, if you're only working when people are looking, that means you're doing that with me. That means you're the kind of person that if I come up unannounced, you might be doing God knows what. That's why he says do everything unto the Lord. There is no darkness when we're in Christ. Everything we do is in the light. We live our life like everybody's watching because someone is watching. It's God. And that's what it means to have the fear of the Lord. Not to be scared, but to know he's watching me right now. He sees this. He sees that. He sees this. He sees that. Like, he sees everything. So the Lord goes, live in the light because I am not going to let you know the hour that I'm coming. The best he'll do is soon. That's the most he gives us. Soon. And he gives us signs to look at, but I, th I think we're here, y'all. I, I think it's really coming so soon. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's be like the believers that he wrote about in Scripture that are anticipating his return. And basically what that looks like for me is just, you know, first of all, if you came today, would I be ready? Would I be found doing what you want me doing?
which honestly is not that complicated. He wants us winning souls. He wants us making disciples. He wants us loving our neighbor. He wants us loving our enemies. And he wants us sharing the gospel. It's not that complicated of, a, of, a, of an assignment. It's not easy, but it's not complicated. You just have to marry yourself to his vision and his mission. He says, I came to destroy the works of the devil. Not just complain about the devil. Not just post about how much you hate the devil. He says, I've come to destroy the works of the devil. Do you guys know that we are called to do more than just gripe about the devil? He says that we can actually destroy the works. We can actually take part in breaking the bonds of sin and slavery. He wants us to do that, and he also says, I've come to seek and save the lost. Which means you're seeking, you're looking for them. Who's, who in my life doesn't know God? Some of us don't even have to seek. They're all right around you. Like they're at work. Some of them are at home, roommates. You've got, we all have low-hanging fruit right now. I know it. We all have low-hanging fruit when it comes to people who are ripe for salvation. And if you can just make sure you're doing those things, that way is when he returns. It, I feel like doing the work of God is what allows you and enables you to anticipate his return. Because when you're constantly involved in the harvest, you're going, man, if he came back today, we've got five more people that are going to be in the, in the number when he comes back. You have to ask yourself, am I ready? And you have to ask yourself, if Jesus came back today, who... If I knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, what would my life look like? How many people would I reach out to and just check on them and tell them about what God has done in my life? My prayer is that all of us are convicted because Jesus tells us not to say, oh, we've got time. There's passages where he discourages that idea. Oh, we've got time. Says who? There is nothing in Scripture saying that you've got time. In fact, Scripture says the opposite. It says tomorrow is not promised. Tomorrow, Memorial Day is not promised. Like all of our plans are subject to change. And I know that makes you uncomfortable because it, it makes you have to step outside yourself a bit. You might have to think about more people than you're used to thinking about. You might have to reach out to more people. You might have a little less alone time or me time or Netflix time. But you'll be able to bring people in to the knowledge of faith. When I think about the two people working, the two women that were grinding at the mill, and Jesus said one is going to disappear and one's going to still be there. My question is, the person that is still being there, the person that's left, the person that misses his return, my prayer is that if there's anybody in my life that's still going to be here when Jesus returns, God forbid it's because I didn't try. God forbid there is someone in your life that will miss the return of Christ and you didn't try. I know you don't have the responsibility to save them. I know you don't have the power to actually make the choice for them. 
but we do have the responsibility to extend ourselves, even if it's just an invitation to church. I'm not saying you got to go door to door, even though some of you might. It's not unheard of. That's how they did it with the disciples' days. They went door to door. And some said yes, and some said no, but it wasn't because they didn't try. We have to ask ourselves these things, and I know it shakes up your life, and I know it disrupts your life, but that's just what Jesus does. He changes your life. I'm going to pray. Father, I thank you for the word. I thank you for the reminder that there's a change coming. There is a great change on its way. Jesus is returning for his bride. He's returning for those who place their faith in him, who've confessed him as Lord. God, my prayer is that this group of people, including myself, would ask you, am I eager for this day? And if not, why? Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of truth. You are full of love. You are full of grace. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that anybody who is bold and courageous enough to ask you to show them why they aren't as eager for your return as the Bible says that we should be, I pray that you will let them know Lord, for some of us, our bellies are full, our flesh is satisfied. We've got the food, we've got the drink, we've got the friends, we've got all the things we need. And Lord, we're so content to where we don't have an appetite for a change. We don't have an appetite for you to return and take us away. Lord, for others, our minds are just set on things of the world, things of our lives, and we're not as concerned with heavenly matters, so we're just indifferent. God, whatever the reason is, I know you will be faithful to speak to every person's heart the way that they'll be able to know that it's you speaking to them. God, and when you speak to us, God, I pray, Lord, that we would remember the scripture in Chronicles. I pray, Lord, that we would humble ourselves. I pray, Lord, that if that means we get on our knees, if that means we lay flat on the floor, if that means we turn off the TV, whatever it means to humble ourselves, God, I pray that every person will do that in their own time. God, I pray they will seek your face. They will let the eyes of their heart turn to you. God, and like the prophet and like John and like so many of us in the room, when they see you, Jesus, they're going to see your light, they're going to see your love, but they're also going to be convicted of their sin. And it's not going to be a condemning feeling, but it's going to be a, a healing. It's going to be a conviction where they... they they're cut to the heart and that conviction is going to wake them up to practices and 
mindsets and habits that have diminished their appetite for you and made them unavailable for the eagerness of you returning. God, we don't want to be like the people in the days of Noah. Help us not to be so preoccupied with our lives on earth that we're unaware. Unaware to the point to where it's too late. Jesus, you let us know that it's going to be like that. God, so I pray, Lord, that we take that news to wake up, present our hearts to you, ask you to reveal to us what we need to repent of, and we will turn from our wicked ways. And Lord, every person who repents is contributing healing to the world. I believe that every time a person repents, the world is that much more healed. I believe every time a person turns from their wicked ways, the world gets that much brighter. Lord, I pray, Lord, for the light of the church to shine brighter than ever before. But Lord, help us to know that for that to happen, we have to make some choices. I don't believe it's us waiting on you, God. I believe you're waiting on us to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit turn from our ways and I believe that day by day, person by person, repentance by repentance, baptism by baptism, salvation by salvation, we will see this world, we will see this nation, we will see this city heal but not by man's efforts but by the power of you Jesus we need your power and I pray, Lord, that as we lift up prayer right now, Lord, more people will invite you into their hearts. I want to ask for everyone to stand before we dismiss. And this time is for addressing the Lord. We're going to go to the Lord. And we're going to make some confessions with our mouths. And we're going to believe it in our heart. And we're going to do it with faith. And as simple as speaking is, when we do it with faith, the Holy Spirit accomplishes great things. So I pray that everybody has humbled themselves before God. And then I invite you all to repeat after me. Father, in the name of Jesus. I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit 
so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I believe that hearts are being changed. I believe that minds are being renewed. I believe that people's citizenship are shifting from being of this world to being of heaven. I believe that the kingdom of God is now a priority on more people because of today, because of that prayer. So if that's you, if you are ready to follow Jesus and not just in status, but in, in action and really join the mission and the purpose of Jesus to, to save lives, I couldn't be happier. And I just congratulate you. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the citizenship of heaven. There's a lot to do. There's a job for all of us. Um, don't be overwhelmed because you're not by yourself. We work as a family. We work as a unit. We work in unity. And we support each other. But it's work. It's a work, but it's a work of honor. And it's a work that we want to be found doing when Jesus comes back. He's going to come back and see people stewarding this world and stewarding his mission well. And I'm just excited that Nashville Life gets to contribute to that stewardship. Um, if you said yes to the Lord, please let us know. Let us know two ways. We have a prayer team that will be here to pray for you on your way out. You can also text BELONG to 77411. And we would just love to connect with you. Our next steps for those who want to learn more about the church, learn more about our vision, it's next week. It's not this week. Next. And if you would like to give anything, any contribution, whether tithes or offering, uh, thank you first in advance. You can text us and give online, or our finance team will be in the back with uh, buckets to serve you. And I love y'all. I hope you have a really um, sober but but full and good time. Like, again, it's we're groaning, but we're also enjoying God. You know what I'm saying? It's both. So enjoy the Lord, but don't lose that drive for what's next. Um, I'm excited to explore that balance with you guys this year and learn how to do that well. Um, so I'm going to pray, and we'll be done. Lord, I love you. I thank you. Thank you for the word. Lord, bless every person who's here. Lord, let every word that was spoken, Lord, from your word go past their ears and into their heart to where it can actually affect the way they think, the way they process, the way they make decisions. God, and I pray, Lord, they would they would be blessed, but not only they will be blessed, but but everyone they know will be blessed through the change that's happening in their lives. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Happy Memorial Day. See you.